Hi, I'm Don Mackey, welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. folks. This is Don Mackey with E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems and your Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. My guest today is a friend, a colleague, and I would say a teacher, Pam Bishop, who is Vice President of Economic Development with the Southern Minnesota Initiative Foundation. Pam, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Don. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, particularly excited about the topic and You know, I view you as my teacher and mentor as well. Well, we've had such a great exchange. We've learned from each other and and your initiative, REV for short, one of those acronyms that actually works, but it stands for Rural Entrepreneurial Venture. But before we get into the REV initiative, Pam, share a little bit about your journey as a community economic developer. You've been at work in this field for a while, and I think folks would find it interesting about how you've progressed. You ultimately ended up at the Southern Initiative Foundation leading economic development. Share a little bit about your past and journey. Sure, happy to. Well, let me share a little bit and going way back, back into the, well, let me just say that economic development found me. I had no intentions. I I don't even know if I knew what economic development was really about. I started my journey after college and journalism. I worked at a radio station, reported the news and did a little DJ work. And then I uh, eventually went to news writing, worked for a small newspaper, both in Iowa. And then I I fell in love, met my husband and we married and decided we're going to have our first child, only child, Colin. We bought a house, he had a new job and we ventured to the state of Minnesota. And, you know, we thought it was a, a pit stop. (laughs) But little, we're going to be in our house for 28 years now, and never have I lived in one place for so long. But that tells you a little bit about our region. We fell in love with the region. And truly, it's a remarkable place that has great entrepreneurs and great people and great communities. And when I was at the Chamber of Commerce, when I first started, I, I chose not to go back into journalism. I felt like the hours were horrible. And I really wanted to network. So I started my career, really restarted my career at the Humane Society. I worked in fundraising and I thought this would be a great way to meet some people, network, right? Build relationships. I did that and I had an opportunity to join the Chamber of Commerce. At the Chamber, the economic development team was co-housed with them. We shared staff, we collaborated, we partnership. You know, that's when I look back, I learned a lot of basic essentials to how you work and build community engagement when I started at the Chamber of Commerce. The economic development position came open. I threw my resume in the hat and it was quickly rejected. It said, you don't qualify. You don't have the the ingredients that we're looking for, the background we're looking for. I had a dear friend of mine work behind the scenes. Little did I know that he was talking to the board chair and boy, You know, again, I can't say enough about building relationships. I had an interview, green as green, 
but I had a great mentor. And I'll never forget Paul Sparks. He's not with us anymore, but he was a city manager at the time at the city of Albert Lee. And he taught me a lot in the eight years that I was with him. We started an incubator. We grew entrepreneurship in this community. And I fell in love with entrepreneurs. As much as I enjoyed recruiting companies, retaining companies, I fell in love with the people who wanted to start and grow their dreams. I jumped into a community college setting down in Iowa for a brief period of time. After eight years in one community, I knew I needed a change. I needed something different. But I knew as long as I was in this community, I probably would not have that opportunity. I stayed there for just a brief year. I got a phone call from the Southern Minnesota Initiative Foundation, and I knew about them. That guy had applied previous years before, very interested in the work that they were doing. And I immediately jumped on board, and it's been a great ride. It's been something that I look back on in all the years of working in journalism and communication and working at a chamber. All of those things helped me to be successful in the work that I've been able to assist in growing in our region. I mean, really assist because I'm just part of a team like all of us. We do our best to, to build out the plans and build the resources and get the people involved in this work. In fact, I was reminded of that at a wedding my husband and I attended a couple years ago. We, we were at a table, knew very few folks there. And a young person who was a missionary from Ukraine asked me, why do you do what you do? And I had to pause for a moment because typically people ask me, what do you do, right? They're looking for your job title. And she asked me a very different question. She says, why do you do what you do? And I paused for a moment and I looked at her and I said, well, it's because I love to help people. And that was the first time that I was reminded of why I do this work. Now, of course, my husband reminds me every day, you know, when you have those bad days and you come home and he says, you know, Pam, think about the people you're impacting. Think about the lives that you're changing. And it was at that very moment when that young woman asked me, why do you do what you do? It reinforced why we do, Don, what we do. And I never looked back. I love every minute of this job. I love the work. I'm fortunate to be able to go to work every day and to be with people who are as passionate about what they want to do and how they want to do this work. I love it. And so grateful that you know God has given me and blessed me with tremendous opportunities. And never in my life would I have planned this life for myself. And so I say for all you young folks out there who are looking for ways to make impact, get experience in a nonprofit, get experience in working with people, build relationships, build networks, and the path will follow. You will find your purpose in life. Oh, that's great advice. That's great advice. And, and a rich journey that has allowed you to do things that you probably never contemplated, as you said, but has made for a wonderful career. And just for our listeners, if you've not spent time in southern Minnesota, I would encourage you to get out a map or get up on the web. It is a remarkable region, you know, including 
the Mayo Clinic of international fame in Rochester, communities along the Mississippi River, forested communities. And then as we kind of head west, we begin to see more rich agricultural lands, communities with a long history of manufacturing. It's just for the 20 counties that are part of the foundation service area, there's a lot of diversity there that you find in just this one region. Yeah, I mean, it is remarkable when you look at the landscape and and you look at the variety of businesses that we're able to serve. Local foods has been a focal point of ours for about 10 years now, and the richest area of that local food is in our southeast corner, because that's where you get the small scale farmers. You get folks who are able to grow vegetables and to work in commercial kitchens. We also have a strong health care, as you noted, and that brings out a lot of strong new technology and innovations that the Mayo folks there are able to, to license and get out. And we've also built a remarkable resources with new equity funds because, you know, about eight years ago, we realized how important that was. And we have a ton now of equity partners that we participate with. And we have commercial kitchens and incubators that are popping up and co-working spaces. And so this whole ecosystem of entrepreneurship, I think, has changed remarkably in the last five to 10 years. And as we've tried to align resources to support that, we're seeing just more and more interest in how do we support those young entrepreneurs who are, and I don't mean age-wise, I mean just maturity. How do we get them started and how do we, how do we help them feel less isolated? And another thing, Don, that I'm excited about is our peer networks. We've had one going now for 16 years. We're partnering in Rochester to build a couple more, and we're growing out our minority business ownership support as well and hoping to grow another new peer network. So the variety of industries, the variety of people adds to the richness of what our region can offer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have been a founder and a leader with Rev and Although you and I have known each other longer than Rev, we've had the opportunity to work together through this initiative. And of course, for our listeners, Rev stands for Rural Entrepreneurial Venture. But share a little bit about the origins and the development of Rev, and then we'll drill down a bit more into the kind of impacts and outcomes you're beginning to realize through this community-based entrepreneurial ecosystem building initiative. Yeah. Thank you, Don. Well, as you noted, we've known each other for a while, and I became very interested in your framework. I think it was as early as 2007, 2008, maybe even before that. I know you and I have talked frequently early on, and I came back bubbling with excitement, you know, ready to take this on and bring it to the region. The first time around, the timing wasn't right. But about six years ago, our board said, you know, we were founded on the basis of developing rural communities. Back in the mid-80s, the egg crisis was pretty, pretty prevalent in our region and was, was causing concern for the McKnight Foundation, particularly because they were seeing an exit, exiting of people. And it's what can we do in greater Minnesota to build an economy that's strong, sustainable, and resilient? They in turn created our six Minnesota Initiative Foundations and seeded us with money so that we could give communities a chance to come back and thrive as they had prior to the egg crisis. Over the last 30 plus years now, we've done what we can to be a partner in rebuilding and growing 
and helping our smallest of towns flourish. We wanted to return to that six years ago. We really wanted to put what they called stretch goals. What can we be doing to stretch our resources and to stretch how we assist our smallest of towns? I quickly looked on my bookshelf, Don, and there it was, energizing entrepreneurs. And I said, that's the key to how we can help our smallest of towns be successful long-term, right? Not just short-term. We wanna make a transformational change in these communities. So we developed a plan. We incorporated the framework of E2 in our work. And we decided we were very intentional. We decided this is what we wanna do. And so thankfully, you, uh, you responded to our phone calls and emails. And I know we had some starts and stops as we started our journey. But at the end of the day, I believe we were able to successfully bring E2 to our, our region and begin that journey with our communities to pilot this program in the six communities that became our first cohort of what we now call REP. Yeah, and it's been fun. And one of the things that I know early on, given the foundation's deep experience with rural communities, was this focus on readiness. Which communities are ready for this opportunity? And it strikes me that that was an important part of your design. And I know your conversations with Kathleen with the Ford Family Foundation, you've shared some of that with her, and they've really given thought to community readiness based on your counsel with them. Share a little bit about why community readiness is so important in finding those partner communities that were part of your first cohort, and now you've got a second cohort of communities. I think it's an important design element. Well, we, I shouldn't say it's a recipe, but the framework we use, Don, really does come out of E2. And we use the ranking system to help qualify folks as we ask them to apply. And we specifically noted in our guidelines as people are considering an opportunity in the REV program, community readiness is so key for us because we only have three years to really be with them in a very intentional and close-knit way. I mean, we are hand in glove with these communities from day one until the end of the third year. And then we still are tracking with our former REV first cohort. But one of the things we notice and we look for is community engagement. Community readiness can't be just dependent on the EDA or a couple of people who are passionate. It has to be founded on the fact that the community is ready to make entrepreneurship a priority area. Not to say that they remove themselves from recruiting or retaining, but to say that we want to make this part of our game plan. And so it's important that as we review those applications that come in, that we also walk into that community. We actually go in and do what we call site visits. We get around the table, we have the conversation, we get to know the players that they have designed this to be shaped around. And then we we have no problem asking them to broaden what we call their sector wheel. According to you know the asset-based community development philosophy, which we have adopted, we've used for decades now, suggests that in a community that's successful at using their resources and then connecting those resources to make 
life-changing and transformational decisions need to include every sector of their community, right? There's 20 sectors in every community that might include the city, it might include the faith-based, it includes students, young people, it includes associations and nonprofits, it includes institutions, it includes the financial. There's so many different facets of a community. And so the, the more people who can represent communities and be part of that launch and engage people from the get-go, we believe we'll have a stronger ability to successfully produce outcomes that will allow them to continue this work long-term. And so that's why we really, we really spend a lot of time on the front end it's because the last thing we want to have happen is that the community is finding that they're not in a position to make this a permanent part of their, their game plan. And so we include it in the language and we go into the communities before we make those decisions. Well, and I think it's paid off because your first cohort of communities have stayed with you and their progress, it appears to me, has enabled a commitment by the foundation and your partners to a second cohort of communities. I wonder if you'd be willing to share maybe a story or two illustrating the kinds of success that has come out of this work with your first cohorts of communities. I think our audience would be interested in that. Yeah. Well, you know, you say a story, and that's the difficult thing. There's so many stories, as you know, Don. But I think Spring Grove has a particularly interesting story. They're nestled in this very southeast corner of our region. In some ways, they call themselves an island because there's really no major community nearby. And I think this has helped them even think about Rev even more so, and how they can lift up those resources and, and be as effective as any other community that's nearby. I think the closest community is Decorah, Iowa, which is about a 30, 40 minute drive south. You have Harmony, which is to your east, I'm sorry, to your west, and that's another 25 minutes. And then you've got Wisconsin, not too far away. This community has done a great job in building up their agriculture in a couple of ways. They have a seed company there that has done a great job in employing a number of folks, and they sell their seeds across the country internationally, and it was started by a local entrepreneur. There's another company called Rock Filter Distillery. He came back from after serving and went back to the family farm and had an interest in developing a distillery, is using the grains produced from his farm to make what has now been an award-winning bourbon. And so it's brought life to the community. I mean, it's really been a destination for people to go to and travel. They have a strong school district. They also built a brand new childcare facility. So they have the essential ingredients, right? The basic foundation to elevate this work through the REV program. They also have an art center, which is based on the Scandinavian heritage of the folks that resided, right? That created this community of Spring Grove. Their downtown is flourishing. Most of the retail businesses are there, at least they were pre-COVID. And they have, you know, restaurants and other places that people can go and some shopping. But some of the things that were missing was how do we continue to build this entrepreneurial ecosystem in ways that allows new people to come in or people that are already there to build a business. 
one of the things they did early on was create this event. They had a, you come, all everyone come, right? We, we had it at the Rock Filter Distillery, perfect location. They had people sign up, sign in, identify if they were an entrepreneur and introduce the REV program. They were able then to uncover entrepreneurs that they never knew existed, take the survey that they've formed like all the other REV communities and be able to initially really go out and have those conversations. But the other thing that was missing was the financial foundation. How do we make sure that we have the financial resources so that this becomes a long-term way to help support the needs of our entrepreneurs. They also realized that they couldn't effectively do this with all volunteers. They raised money, Don. They have been in the process now for the last two years to raise money to start a chamber of commerce, not a traditional one, but a business-focused chamber of commerce. They're now in a position to hire a part-time person. They raised enough money locally They've hired a part-time person or will very shortly, and she will focus her efforts or he on dedicating their time and energy to develop trainings, to support entrepreneurs. They're looking at developing a new co-working space in one of the facilities in the downtown area. They're also, they have a generous donor, someone who wants to put some significant money behind the community. And Courtney would say this all transpired because of Rev. Rev has put the shining light on how important entrepreneurship is in the community and the wealth of resources that need to happen in order for this to be sustainable. I am so optimistic that this generous support, financial supporter, will solidify what they want to bring to the table. They're talking about what it looks like. I'm as convinced that a community foundation will also come into play. And this is just the jumping off point for this community. But what REV has done, it has ignited the infrastructure that the community needed to take that next big leap of how they can envision what they need to have as resources. You know, they've done the marketing, they've done, they've talked to student entrepreneurs, you know, they're doing the kind of activity-based things that communities do when they first get into REV. But what impresses me so much about Spring Grove is that they are now designing permanent ways that REV will live out for decades to come. They realize that they have to have money behind the development of both the physical infrastructure and the financial means for these entrepreneurs to be successful. We're seeing this in Blue Earth as well. They have taken the approach of student entrepreneurship. They have a career day. It's incorporated in their EDA now. And Lanesboro has been a late bloomer. They have the Lean Entrepreneur Action Network, which is now a subcommittee of their EDA. They went to the city council to get authorization for this to happen. They're developing subcommittees. So for me, REV will be a permanent play in how they think about entrepreneurship. This is also happening in Lesseur, where the EDA now is, REV is part of the EDA strategic plan. And then in Lake City, they've brought in an AmeriCorps VISTA, and they're trying to figure out how to connect with the Hispanic population. This is her second year in the community. And I'm convinced that as a result of this capacity building program that came through our organization, 
that long-term, this will bring a whole new audience to the city of Lake City. So Don, there's just tremendous stories out there and tremendous examples of how REV has made a difference in the ripple effects, if I can say, of how this program has brought to life the importance of paying attention to people who want to start companies in your backyard, but has also helped leadership and champions of these communities recognize that they need to do more. They need to create more tools so that this program can have the ability to be sustained and transform their economy for decades to come. Yeah, there's so many rich lessons in just the brief storytelling you've done. And I think the one that is most inspiring to me is is the sustainability. This work is a 24-7, 365 forever job in a community. If you really want to transform your community, ensure its long-term vitality. And, And the fact that those roots are going down now, those commitments are being made, really speaks to the effectiveness that Rev has had in these communities as opposed to one of those kind of transient programs that do some good and then the community moves on to the next thing. We need to start wrapping up. There's so many more stories we could tell, but I told you this would go very fast and it does. I just want to let our listeners know that with Pam's help and the foundation's help, we're curating a paper that will give you more information about Rev and the foundation and its communities. And included there are a whole set of stories that the foundation has helped collect. So you can learn so much more. But Pam, share with us how our listeners can learn more about Rev, learn more about the foundation, if you would. Sure. Well, you can go right up to our website, smifoundation.org, and we have information there that will hopefully give you some insight as to how our program is rolling out. I'm always available by phone or email, you know, Pam B at smifoundation.org. You can dial me at 507-214-7013. Always happy to connect. I will say if I can quickly, we have some tremendous partners. You know, this we could not have done this work without the University of Minnesota Extension Service and specifically Jennifer Hawkins. And I know she would be available as well if you you just Google her. Her organization has helped tremendously with the addition of several tools that we've brought into the program and always be happy to talk about what those tools are doing and how they've been helpful. Region 9 Development Commission has also been a great champion and partner in this work. Both these organizations have provided coaches And they provided resources and networks so that we can identify those communities that are ready. We have coaches that are trained up and ready to go. And then they're also graciously willing to bring resources that we are either, you know, happy to pay for, or they just do it because it's just good to do. And also McLandon Foundation, without their first three years of commitment, financial commitment to this program, it would have been a a hard road for us to start this program. And so Blandon Foundation has been a key partner in this work. Yeah, I'm just happy to chat. So, you know, feel free to look at our website, give me a phone call, shoot me an email. I'm happy to connect you with one of our partners and even one of our communities. Our communities are always 
happy to share their stories and very excited to show off what they've been able to do. Absolutely. Well, you've been gracious in your willingness to share, and I think that helps the movement. Just so our listeners know, Anne will prepare a landing page with this podcast that'll have all that information as to how to find the foundation, how to find Pam and some of these resources. So that'll be part of the package when we drop the podcast. So Pam, thank you so very much for being my guest today. Thank you, Don. Such a privilege to be highlighted in this way. And thank you for all the good work that you've been doing in this area of entrepreneurship. You've been a leader and a champion. And we're so blessed that we got to know you and to be able to work with you as we have. And I'm just looking forward to to continuing our relationship, our friendship, and looking forward to what more comes out of the great work that you're going to do years ahead. Well, you're too kind, but it's mutual. And it's been wonderful to have a small hand with this initiative, and we've learned so much. So as we wrap up today with this edition of Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast, I want to remind our listeners of some of the resources that are available through E2, Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. Probably your first stop would be our website, energizingentrepreneurs.org. There you can find a wide range of free resources, including our paper on Rev where you can learn more about this exciting initiative and the progress that it's making in Southern Minnesota. You can also sign up for our E2 National Practitioners Network, where you can access the E2 University resources. Many of these resources were used in the REV initiative, and so that's free to everyone with the caveat. We want to learn from you, so we're hoping that you'll share back if you join the network. Of course, our monthly newsletter is your best place to find new content that we're either producing or we're collecting and sharing. And then, of course, you can use your favorite platform to sign up for Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. So on behalf of Pam and the Southern Minnesota Initiative Foundation and their exciting initiative, Rev, thank you for joining us today. All our best to you and your work in developing communities in your part of rural America. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. <music>